we haven't met before, my name's Ashley, and I'm the senior pastor here at Hope, and I'm so glad you're here for week two of the reset. Uh, I apologize, I have a tiny little horse in my throat, but I'm excited about what God has for us today. We are in week two, and we are talking about worship, worship. It's going to be a good one, come on. Are you guys excited for what God has for us? Yes. So let's see, to, to start talking about worship, I need to tell you a story. Um, it, it occurs back in 2006 uh, when I was dating my boyfriend at the time, now husband, Jay, and I know, I know, and uh, we, uh, we were on a date, and it's kind of funny, this, this whole time on this date, uh, the location kept changing. He's like, why don't we go to this place? And I'm like, man, I'm not really feeling that. No, thank you. He's like, okay, why don't we go here? And I'm like, nah, let's not do that. He's like, let's go to my house and look at the stars. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Sounds fun. It was a nice July day. And while we were looking at the stars, he proposed to me. So romantic, right? Yes. And so we got engaged. And in 2006, this was before Facebook was like a public thing. So you didn't post on Facebook about it. Um, Instagram didn't even exist. Uh, Neither one of us owned cell phones, so you certainly didn't send people pictures of your engagement. What you did is you um, made this announcement that you put in the newspaper. And I know, I know, my kids don't even know what a newspaper is, but that's how you communicated back in 2006. And so in the, in the newspaper, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the Dowlings, that's my parents, their last name, the Dowlings are proud to announce the engagement of their daughter to Jay Hunter Smith. And anyway, I would see friends then out and about in public, and you know, they wouldn't really ask me about my fiance. They didn't really care if he had three eyes, you know? What would they ask about when you see them in public when you just got engaged? Show me the ring! Let me see the ring! What do we post on Facebook now? The ring! We actually have a picture of the ring! Oh, yes. And why do we love the ring? This hunk of glittery carbon. Just realized my uh, wedding band is on upside down. Whoopsies. This hunk of glittery carbon. Why do we love it? Because it communicates value, right? When they see the ring, they're like, wow, even if I haven't met your fiance, I know he must really value you because he gave you a diamond. And diamonds are expensive, and he's a college student, and he doesn't make a lot of money, and he had to save up for a long time to show you how valuable you are to him. So romantic. Well, do you know that the cross... That's our engagement ring to God. It proves how much we're worth to him. Come on. He says in Isaiah 43, 4, that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade creation just for you. How valuable are you to me? You're so valuable. You're worth the whole world. You're so valuable. You're worth my one and only son, a part of myself. It's an engagement ring from God to to woo the heart of his bride and prove that he loves her. The Bible says we're the bride of Christ. And you know what? 
when he, when he gave us that engagement ring, when Jesus died on the cross, we weren't a bride who was like, I'm so in love with you. You know? If you think about a boyfriend and a girlfriend, you would not propose to a girl who was not even interested in you. But that's what God did while we were still far from him, while we didn't even care about him. He said, I love you. You're worth everything to me. I created you. You know, when he, when he gave us that engagement ring, we weren't even a spotless, beautiful, flawless bride. We had some faults, okay? And God, he saw all of them. You know, when you're dating someone, you don't show them your faults until after the honeymoon. But God, he knew everything that was flawed about us. Hosea, the book of Hosea talks about how we were an unfaithful bride and that our worship and our love, it goes to so many things. Before God, he woos us with his love. Romans 5.8 says, God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. It's kind of like our children, you know? We got so many babies in this church. I love it. You create a baby and that thing comes out and it doesn't even love you. You create a baby, it comes out, it doesn't know how to love, right? It says, feed me. It says, change my diaper. It just cries for no reason sometimes. But what do you do? You love it. You teach it love. And as your baby is loved, it learns how to love you back. We learn how to love from our parents first. And we teach our kids how to say I love you. We teach them how to express affection. And like children, God is our loving Father. He loves us first. And then we respond in love. Come on. We love him after the ring. Not because we're so good at loving, but because he is love. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he loved us first. We don't try to love God. We rest in his love. When we're worshiping out here, we're talking about receiving in that last song. We're receiving his love. And as you are loved unconditionally in a way that no one else can love you, then you love him back. You respond in love. In worship, he loves us. And then we express our love back. You know, there's a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Maybe you guys have read it. It talks about how there are five different ways to love our spouses and, and that each of us is a little unique in what feeds our love. Uh, for example, my love language is quality time. So I love when people spend time with me. I love when my husband and I go on dates. If you want to show me value, show me time. But my husband... That's not his love language. So when we go on dates, he's like, yeah, this is nice. You know, just uh, I'm glad you're enjoying this. But he, his language is words of affirmation. So he wants to hear how handsome he is. Now, he can tell me how beautiful I am. I'm like, I don't care. That's not how I receive love. Show me your time. We're all different. But when we love others, we want to love them the way that they receive love. 
And God, he speaks all of the love languages. He invented them. He receives love when we demonstrate love. Come on. And so to him, words of affirmation, like my husband's love language, that's praise. God loves it. When we speak words of affirmation to him, when we tell him how much we love him, when we tell him how good he is, when we thank him, you know, he speaks uh, quality time. He loves when we pray, when we talk to him. He loves when we worship him. He loves when we spend time in his word. He loves quality time. Uh, what about gifts? That's another one of the love languages. He loves when we trust him with our tithes and offerings, when we give him gifts. Acts of service is another one. For us, that's volunteering. And we serve God, not because we have to, or not because we're a tool to use, like we said last week. We serve God because we're in a love relationship with him. Think about how you serve your spouse. Why do I clean my house? Not because I love cleaning. I love my husband. I love my children. I love to serve them. Not because I have to, because I get to. That's how we serve God. What about physical touch? That's the fifth one, physical touch. God in his Holy Spirit, his manifest presence, he loves to touch us. He loves to heal us. He loves for us to feel his love and his comfort and his presence here with us. You know, worship, it's physical. Today we're going to look at some of the words that God uses for worship. And the first one we're going to put on the screen for you is the Hebrew word. And it comes from Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And it's shaka. Everybody say shaka. And it simply means worship, to bow, to bow. And we get it from Genesis 24, 26. It's talking about when someone had something really good happen in their life. At this, they bowed in worship before God. But that verse is actually said, they bowed in shaka, in, in bowing before God. They're double bowing before God. Bowing down physically. The Psalms say, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. We bow down before him. That's one of his love languages. But also we bow down our heart. We bow down on the inside. We say, God, not only do I bow to you physically, but I bow my life to you. I bow my plans to you. I bow my will to you. Your ways, they're better than my ways. I submit them to you because I love you. If you think about it, God is the king of kings, and we're his children. But even princes and princesses, they bow before the king. We bow before God. In the Old Testament, they did it out of reverence. But in the New Testament, they did it out of love. And because it's out of love, they bow lower than the people in the Old Testament because you always do more out of love than you do out of religion or duty or someone telling you what you should do. Come on. And so the New Testament word, it's the Greek, it's proskunio, proskunio. It means to worship. One of the first definitions is to lie flat on your face before God. What? Yeah, yeah. Because when you walk into the throne room of the king of kings, you're like, 
Oh my goodness, you are God. That's amazing. Lie flat in worship before God. New Testament worshipers bow lower than Old Testament ones. God, we bow before you. I get as low as I can because I submit my will and my life to you because I love you. Come on. You know what happens in eternity? In heaven, the most honored beings, what are they doing every day? They fall prostrate. They lay on the ground before Jesus. Revelation 4 and verse 9. Let me see. Every time they gave glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the age after age living one, the 24 elders would fall prostrate, completely flat before the one seated on the throne. They worshiped the age after age living one. They threw their crowns at the foot of the throne, chanting, worthy, O master, yes, our God. You take the glory, you take the honor, you take the power. You created it all. It was created because you wanted it. That's one of the things that we'll do in eternity. We'll get to worship God. And there's so many other things that happen in eternity. I know some of you are like, that sounds kind of boring. But when you're in love and you get to be in the presence of the one that you love, you're like, what else can I do but just lay down at your feet? We had some people laying down the other night at midweek encounter night. What do you do in the presence of the most holy God of the universe? You get low because you realize, wow, you're God. Another part of Proscunio, it talks about to kiss hands toward. That means to blow kisses to God. Who do you blow kisses to? People who are a little further away than you would like, right? You blow kisses to your children when you're leaving for the day headed to work. You express intimate love to God. The more intimate the relationship, the more passionate the affection. You know, there are different types of kisses for different relationships. When my kids were babies, I kissed their little chubby little feet, little chubby hands, you know. When they're toddlers, you blow a little raspberry on their belly and make them giggle. When they're older now, I just kiss them on the cheek. If you have a spouse, you probably kiss them on the lips. Different kisses, different relationships. You know, my husband and I, we have a public kiss, and then we have a private kiss. Black Widow says in Captain America Winter Soldier, public displays of affection make people uncomfortable. And Steve Rogers says, yes, they do. Some kinds of intimacy are more appropriate for the bedroom than your front yard. You're laughing because it's true. (laughs) Worship is the same way. Our affection to God should not detract or distract from anyone else's experience with God. It should not draw attention from the king. One of our missionary churches had this person who would come in during worship, and they would just scream about the second song. They'd just be like, ah! And everybody would be like, hmm. What's going on there? And you know, the first week they're like, maybe they're just really getting healed from something, you know? But it happened three weeks in a row and finally the pastor went up to the person and whispered in their ear. And then the person didn't do it anymore. 
And, and so we said to that person, what, what did you do? What did you say? You know, how did, how did you heal that? And they said, well, I told the person that I would expose them for being a fraud, so they better stop doing it. And they did. You know, sometimes religious spirits and human spirits will try to get attention. Sometimes, even really good Christians, we come in with some spirits on us. And, you know, sometimes people will be looking around like, does anybody see what I'm doing right now? You see me? Okay, good. <sighs> That's pride. That's pride. God is a jealous God. He does not want anyone else to have his attention. Don't try to take attention from him. He knows the motives of our hearts. You know, Jesus, he was teaching in the synagogue, and there was someone with an evil spirit, and all he did was just cast the spirit out of them, and then they went on teaching. Sometimes there are other spirits here, and, you know, a lot of my job is to keep order in the house, and uh, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is just having discernment to know, hey, that's a human spirit, or hey, uh, you know, that's a demonic spirit. Overall, though, we want to be careful not to judge other people's worship, because I, I would say it's far more likely that instead of worshiping for show, uh, we're afraid to show anything, Right? Uh, most people aren't worshiping for attention. Most of us are just trying to figure out, God, can I, can I trust you this much today? God, how do I express my love to you? You know, even when people are laughing or laying down in the spirit, that's not for attention. That's because their human form can't handle the physical presence of God. And that's okay. Most of us have the problem of being too reserved in our worship because we're worried about what people think, good or bad. I've shared before about when the kids started coming over here, my son, he didn't worship. And I'm like, that's weird. You worship in the car and you worship at chapel. Why don't you worship in church? That's a great place to worship. And he's like, well, someone might be looking at me. And I think a lot of us have that thought. Someone might be looking at me. Who taught you you should be embarrassed about what you look like in worship? It's not for people. It's for God. He loves our worship. It's about expressing love to God in the way that he receives love. I just read for you. He loves when we kneel down. He loves when we kneel down inside. He loves when we lie prostrate before him. King David knew this. He danced before God with all his might. Danced lots of clothes off. He had some undergarments exposed. 2 Samuel 6 and verse 20, it says, David returned home to bless his family. Michal, Saul's daughter, came out to greet him. How wonderfully the king has distinguished himself today, exposing himself to the eyes of the servant maids like some burlesque street dancer. David replied to Michal, in God's presence, I'll dance all I want. She was judging him. So sometimes people do judge other people, but you know what? David was the one who was in the right. He's the one who's a man after God's own heart. He didn't care what people thought. He cared what God thought. And he wasn't perfect. There was a time where he messed up. There was a time where he sinned so bad and he was separated from God. And what did he do? He came to God. He's like, God, please don't take your spirit from me. He worshiped God. He talked to God. He shared his emotions with God. 
He's a mighty, manly man, warrior, killed lots of enemies, Goliath in battle. And he also wrote the Psalms. He also played the harp. He also shared all of his emotions with God. So much better than most of us do. So many Psalms talking about when he was sad or mad or happy, just pouring out his heart, his love to God. I love that he wasn't afraid to show it. True worship, it demonstrates your love for God. If it's motivated by anything else or if it's limited by anything else, like pride or religion or attention, it's self-worship. Why does God want us to worship him? Why does he want to come and inhabit our praise and be with us? Because we become what we look at. And the more that we gaze into his wonderful face, the more we receive his unconditional love, the more we start to become his beautiful, spotless bride. His suitable bride. We mature in him. Come on. We're not a perfect bride before we come to him. But as we rest in his love, what he does is he heals things and he cleanses things and he makes us into the most radiant bride. And he speaks to us and he fights for us and he loves us and our hearts, they find healing, they find freedom. As we pour out our love and our pain and our worries, he fills us with his presence. Come on. Maybe you come from a more reserved church background. That's okay. That doesn't mean you don't love God or you're not saved. But it does mean that you learned a little bit of your emotions from humanity. And I'm here to tell you that God, he's extravagant in his love. He's demonstrative in his love. He does not hold back. Look at the cross. We need to learn love from love itself and love incarnate. We're trained to worship God by a fallen, emotionally stunted culture. And we get afraid that if I open up to God, if I let him in, I won't be able to control myself. Who cares? We have tissues. Who cares? The person next to you, they'll be excited for you, honestly. We learn real worship from God. Is it important to physically express worship? Well, I mean, think about your children. Is it important that you give them a hug? You know that kids who grow up without any physical affection, they have failure to thrive. It's important that our kids get comfort from us. It determines the trajectory of their whole emotional life. It's important that we physically express our worship to God and let him love us. If you think about your spouse, is it important that they show you a little love? Is it important that they cuddle you or hold your hand or kiss you? I mean, you don't marry someone who's like, I I don't want to touch you ever, you know? It's important to show affection in our relationships. Jesus is coming back for a bride who is passionate for her love. She's spotless. She's radiant. She's unashamed. Come on, in eternity, what people thought of you doesn't matter. What matters is the king. 
He demonstrated his love on the cross. We demonstrate our love. We respond by loving in worship. Maybe this is making you a little uncomfortable. You think about things that you do to show love to people that you care about. Sometimes you do things that are uncomfortable. This one time I took Sophie to a princess ball when she was three, and I didn't go because I wanted to dress up like a princess. I'm a grown woman. I don't want to dress up like a Disney princess. I didn't go because I'm good at dancing. I'm bad at dancing. I went because she wanted to go and because I love her. And I danced with her because I love her. I went to the dance because I love my daughter. We don't come to worship because we're good at it or because we like the music or we're experts. We come to worship because we love God. On Sundays, we get to worship together. I love it. And the band, the worship team, they lead us in worship. And they provide this atmosphere where our king romances his beloved bride, which is all of us. It's like going to a nice restaurant, you know? Uh, I like to go out to eat with my husband. We try to go once a week on a date. And, and we go to a restaurant. We want a special meal, you know? I mean, we feed ourselves every day at home. If we didn't, we would starve, right? One day a week, we go for that special meal. You should be nourished daily at home in the word and worship and prayer. But once a week, we come here and we get a special meal together as the church. Come on. I want to say, if you're starving this morning, you got to spend time with Jesus during the week. you got to feed yourself during the week. You gotta learn how to do that with him. He'll teach you. But then you come here, and this is a special meal. You know, Roots and Rhythms Weeks 2, it's happening today at 11. It'll talk to you about how to feed yourself. I encourage you, go to that. If you've been coming to church lesson here, go to it. It'll help you in your walk with Jesus. So we come here for this awesome meal. And the worship team, they're the waiters at the restaurant. And what they do is they set this atmosphere for God the King to meet with his bride, the church. And they serve. You know, the waiters, they don't distract or interrupt the King as he's loving his bride. You know, they're not here to entertain. Can you imagine going to a restaurant? I'm there on a date with my husband, and the waiter's like, hey, let me tell you my new newest jokes. Hey, let me just show you some songs. Hey, let me entertain you. My husband would be like, no, thank you. I'm here with my bride. So if we're telling worship leaders, oh, I just love you so much, you're missing the point. They're trying to point you to the king, and you're getting stuck on the waiter. You got to move your head. Focus on the king. Come on. And these guys, they know I love them. I can say this stuff. This is the truth. So what do they do? They find out what the king wants for dinner. You know, the king, he picks the songs every week. He directs our steps because he has different things he wants to say to his bride every single week. He wants to love us differently every single week. It's a fresh meal. It's fresh songs. You know, in worship, the bride, she doesn't choose the songs. Man, 
The king orders for both of them. I would love that. When I go out to dinner with my husband, I always pick the wrong thing. It never fails. We went out to dinner last week. I'm like, should I get the tortellini or the salad? Well, the tortellini sounds really heavy, so I'll go with the salad. And wouldn't you know, as soon as I got my salad, I regretted that decision. The king orders for the bride. If you don't like the music, the king ordered it. It's not for you. It's what the king ordered to love you. Let's see. If you go out for a great meal, it has an order to it, right? You, you sit down, maybe you get an appetizer and then a salad and an entree and a dessert. And it's all perfectly timed, you know? It doesn't really, you know, let's start with dessert and then go over to dinner. And it doesn't keep you guessing like, ah, where are we going in this meal? And the same thing is true of the order of worship. God has an order to worship. We start with thanksgiving and praise. We always start with kind of an upbeat song pointing to him. And then we slow it down to a song that's all about you. You are. You are God. You. We worship you. And then we allow some time for whatever he wants to say to us. We call that a flow. It's just unscripted, making space to listen to our king. And then at the end of church, we have some more songs that are tied to what the word was that God had for us that day so that we can process and we can receive that love and we can worship God. There's an order to what God does and there's an order to worship and we're going to continue learning about it over the next few weeks. But we want the quality of the service and we want the excellence of the food to be worthy of our King. When you go to a restaurant, you're paying for better food than you can make at home, right? We went out to dinner last week. My salad, it had rotten avocado in it. And not just like it had sat out on the counter for a few minutes and the avocado got a little brown. No, I'm talking the avocado had like all those little black pits in it and then veins of black throughout. And it's sprinkled all over my salad. It's like there's trash throughout my salad. And I'm like, uh And for the first time ever, I complained at a restaurant. I said, hi, how's your meal? This avocado is rotten. I'm so sorry. You come for a better meal than what you can make at home. That's why our band, they practice their craft, because they're serving the king of kings. And this is his meal. Everything we do, we do as unto him. That's why not just anybody can jump on stage. You don't hear me singing today because I don't even have a voice. And then the king, he's romancing his bride and their conversation, it's rich. He's speaking to you about things throughout your week and things he wants to say to you today. And his presence, oh, his presence, it's magnetic. And the emotions sometimes, they're so overwhelming where sometimes you just catch yourself starting to cry like, What's happening? Let it flow. It's so intense, yet gentle and powerful and majestic, humble and compassionate. God is putting his feelings for his bride on display when we gather together and he inhabits the praises of his people. I love it. It's not just what our band, our worship team does, our production team, but you know our hosts, they're waiters too. They get you a seat 
so you can be close at the table with the king of kings. They get you a parking space. They're here to serve. They're here to put attention on the king. Our kids' teams, they have an order to everything they do. They're serving up a meal that God has specifically for those kids next door. They get their kids' meal over there. Come on. That's why I'm always like, kids, you will love it over there. That's the kid's meal. This is the adult meal. Sometimes this is a little bit different level than what you're ready for. Plus, it's really, really fun over there. You get your Happy Meal toy kind of thing, you know? It's the kid's meal. They're the kid's experts. I'm the adult person. If we look at 1 Kings and chapter 10, verse 4. Solomon was showing the Queen of Sheba all around the temple and just the whole city. And Solomon, you know, he's, he's the wisest king who ever lived. Uh, verse 4, when the Queen, queen of Sheba experienced for, him, for herself Solomon's wisdom and saw with her own eyes the palace he had built, the meals that were served, the impressive array of court officials and sharply dressed waiters, the lavish crystal, the elaborate worship, extravagant with whole burnt offerings at the steps leading up to the temple of God. It took her breath away. It took her breath away. That's what happens in worship. As you come into the presence of God, it takes our breath away. He's the king of kings. That's why we make sure all our host volunteers are in here for worship and our kids' teams get to go to an experience and also serve at an experience because God wants to meet with his people. Why do we go to church? Ask yourself that question. Why do I go to church? Is it for the community? Is it for the worship? Is it for the, the message? Is it just because I grew up doing that? Why do we go to church? I hope we go to church because we love Jesus. Why do we pray? We pray because we love Jesus. Why do we worship? We worship because we love Jesus. Why do we read the Bible? We read the Bible because we love Jesus. We love him. He wants us to be here because we love him. Not because of some religious ritual or duty. When love is the motivation of your heart, everything you do becomes worship. And without love, worship is religion. And not just church your whole life. Your every day, eating, drinking, walking around life. Romans 12, 1, it says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. The NIV says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your reasonable response. Putting your whole life before him is worship. Bowing it internally is worship because you love him. You know, Jesus doesn't come to church because he just loves the idea of this building. He comes to church because he loves you. He doesn't show up in prayer because he just, he loves prayer. I'm sure Jesus does love prayer. But he shows up in prayer because he loves you. He didn't go to the cross just because. He went to the cross for the joy set before him, which was you. 
We don't do anything because it's the right thing to do. We do it because we love Jesus. A religious person is like a slave. Before Jesus, the Bible says we were all slaves. We were slaves to the law. We were slaves to sin. That means those things ruled over our life. We tried to be good. We served out of fear. I love what Josh was saying about fear, duty, pressure. Before Jesus, we're not free. We're in religion. We're trying to prove our worth. People in religion, they're not free because they feel like they should obey God. But their heart wants to be its own master. Their heart does not bow. Religion is where our heart does not bow to the king of kings. But a worshiper, that's one who has complete freedom to choose what they want to do. But they love God so much, they choose to serve him. They choose to bow before him because there's nothing they'd rather do. It's like Peter saying, Lord, we left everything to follow you. And we didn't even realize it. Where else could we go? What else could we do? You hold the keys of life. Two people can do the same thing. And God receives one as an act of worship and the other as religious work. Look at Cain and Abel. Two people can come to church. One because they have to, because they think it pleases God. But the other because they love God. This is religion. This is worship. Because of Jesus, we are not slaves. We are something the Bible calls bond servants. It's a Hebrew word, abad, it means bondservant. In the Old Testament, some of the Israelites were slaves to other Israelites because they had a debt they could not pay. And so what they would do is they would work off that debt, and when seven years happened, they were released. They were given their freedom. They paid off their debt. But some of them said, no, 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 I actually, I, I know I have my freedom, but I love serving you. You're such a great family. You're such an awesome household. I want to be a part of it. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 16 just shows us a little bit about what a bondservant is. If your slave, because he loves you and your family and has a good life with you, says, I don't want to leave you, take an awl and pierce through his earlobe into the doorpost, marking him as your slave forever. Do the same with your women slaves who want to stay with you. What is this talking about? If a free slave loved their master, they could remain with the master and serve them out of love. Bond servants serve out of love. They're free people who choose to serve. Paul, Timothy, James, Simon Peter, Jude, so many of the New Testament Christians, they open their letters by saying, I'm Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. It means I was set free from sin. I was set free from the slavery of the law, and I don't want to go back to that. I was set free. I'm completely free. And I want to use my freedom to worship Jesus. They had a debt of sin. We had a debt of sin that Jesus paid so we could be free. And then we say, Jesus, I want to spend my time with you. I want to worship you. I know you set me free. I love you. There's only one time in the Bible where Jesus said someone loved him back. There's lots of times where people knew they were loved by Jesus. You know, John was like, oh yeah, I'm John, the one Jesus loves. That's awesome. There's only one time where he said, this person loved me well. It's Luke 7, 36. 
says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him and at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and she poured perfume on them. What do I see there? Hebrew worship, which means to bow, but not just a, this kind of bow. Jesus was reclining. His feet were on the floor. She had long hair. I'm sure it was longer than me. But you have to bow down in order to get to that level. Bowing down, she wiped his feet with her hair. The Bible says a woman's hair is her glory. What did she have? She took her glory and she wiped his feet. Proscunio, to worship, to lie flat on your face before God, to blow kisses to God. What did she do? She kissed his feet. She anointed them with perfume. She kissed doing all the worship love languages that God loves. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this is inside, he didn't say it out loud to anyone, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him. So cool. Jesus is like, I can hear your thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. None of us can pay back for our sins. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Did you see that? Who will love him more? She did. Verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, in Jewish tradition, whenever you would go to someone's house, you would give them water for their feet because they're wearing sandals. The roads are made of dirt. The animals are pooping on the, on the road. Their feet are dirty. The Pharisee didn't give him anything. And this woman, she comes to the house and she sees her Lord and his feet are dirty. And she's crying because of her love for him. And her tears, they're falling on his feet. And what does she have? Her hair. Simon didn't give him any water or a towel. She used her tears and her hair. The Hebrew abad, a bondservant. She's coming to serve him. No other servant washed his feet. This woman did. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. And that's... It's a little weird, okay? No one else had kissed his feet up until now. They're like, I don't know what's happening. 
She's kissing his feet. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. This whole expensive jar, so valuable to her. She's putting it on my feet. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. When your sins are forgiven and you are loved unconditionally by God, you cannot help but show love to Jesus. That's what she's doing. He says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your belief in me has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith in Jesus saved her. She believed. He forgave her. And because she was loved, because she was forgiven, because she was cleansed of her sins, she had so much love to give to him. And she didn't care what anyone thought. Every single person in that room was looking down on her. Who invited her to this party? Can you believe she wore that to this dinner? What is she doing? But she's like King David. She didn't care. She was expressing love to her Savior. Her heart motive was pure. What did she have to worship him with? Her most expensive jar of perfume? Her hair, her kisses, her bow. Everything she had, she said, I love you. Worship doesn't worry about what people think. It's simply all about Jesus. This is the only place where Jesus said someone demonstrated love our last word for worship is the old English, worthship. It means to give something worth, to attribute value to God. This woman, she used a costly jar of perfume where everyone else used water. It cost her money. It cost her reputation. It cost the opinion of all the people around her. Loving God is costly. But it's not expensive. It's a sacrifice that you want to make. Where, yes, you bow your dreams and your accolades to his dreams and what he says about you. And it's way better than everything that you have anyway. It's like the engagement ring that we started the day with. You express value when you want to get married because you love that person that you're asking to marry you. When Jay proposed to me, he wasn't like, oh, this is expensive. He was thinking of the object of his love. I think about our kids. Yeah, we spend lots of money on them. They need fed and clothed and they get toys and experiences. They need us to drive them everywhere. They cost so much money. I never think about how much they cost. I think about how much I love them and what a privilege it is to be their mom. When I give to God, when I return my tithe to Him, He's already blessed me so much. I don't think, oh, this is costly. I think, wow, what an opportunity to love my King. 
It's my joy to worship Him with offerings. You know, that's why our band ties. We don't have people on stage who worship God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. Money's the number one competitor for our heart. Yes, we trust in Jesus with our mouth and with belief, but soon after that, we bow our heart and we say, you're worth more to me than my finances. I acknowledge that you're God and everything I have comes from you. Of course I can trust you. Yes, it's a dollar amount, but I don't even think about that. I think about how amazing God is. Worship demonstrates our love for God. Salvation demonstrates God's love for us. The cross demonstrates God's love for us. He gave what was most valuable to Him for us. And Jesus endured the cross for us so that we could have that engagement ring, so that we could be His bride. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. In just a moment, we're going to talk to God. And if you want to trust in Jesus, if you want to say, yes, I believe in him, like that woman did. If you want to say, yes, God, I receive what you did at the cross. Thank you that you loved me first. I want to receive that from you. I want to give you the opportunity to trust in Jesus today. And the way we do that, Bible says we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths. And so we like to pray out loud. We pray all together. No one's looking around. This is a moment between you and God. If you want to pray that prayer, let's pray together. We say, God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I trust in you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses me of all my sins. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who fills me. Thank you for your presence here today, God. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you just trusted in Jesus, will you just put your hand up in the air and let me know? That's awesome. Wow. So many, so many hands. Thank you, Jesus. You can put them right back down. Here we celebrate these decisions together. Welcome to being a part of the bride of Jesus. It's the most amazing journey. One where if you'll get to know your king, if you'll spend time with him, he'll reveal himself to you. We do that by talking to him through prayer. We do that by reading his word. You can download the Bible app. There's a free app of the Bible. You can get a paper Bible. I encourage you, get to know God. He loves when we seek him. And, and come to church. Be a part of what God is doing. If you pursue him, he'll continually be speaking to you.